Hello, and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and I've got Darcy with me. Darcy, say hello. To your adoring fans. It's me. It's me. Hello. (laughs) You're the only one that has fans on this show, evidently. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. Yes. (laughs) Because after last week's little snafu, or it's probably by the time we post this, it'll be a few weeks ago, the only people that said anything were your friends. (laughs) Nobody that knows me said anything. Other than Kate? Who said anything? I got an email. Oh. From somebody who knows you. Uh, um, she seemed like, I can't remember what her name was, but I got an email from somebody that knows you that was like, what happened? Is Darcy still on the show? I was so oh, that's so weird. The only person that, t- that contacted me about it was my friend Kate, and she just messaged me. In any case, one, somebody that knew you said they knew you and said, I thought Darcy was, I think it was either a friend of your mom's or like maybe some, one of your old coworkers or something like that. Oh, weird. Somebody that was a few years older than we were, but said she knew you and was like, I thought Darcy wasn't on the show anymore, and I was so disappointed. And I was like, no, no, she's still on. Just reload the episode. Oh, my God. I want you to find that email. I want to know who that was. That's so funny. And I remember thinking, well, how come none of my friends have said anything? Rude. <laughs> I have two friends that, that listen to the show that talk to me about it, and that's it. None of my other friends listen. Oh, here it is. Save the wise, or save the wise, X-A-V underscore the underscore wise, said, hello, I don't hear Darcy's voice at all on the Centoya Brown episode, just Sarah's. I'm listening via Himalaya. Not sure if y'all were aware. I don't know that person at all. I assume that they were a friend of yours. Uh, what's Himalaya? <laughs> I don't, maybe an app or some kind oh. of a plat- listening platform? But thank you, Zave the Wise, because that was helpful. I immediately <laughs> went and like was like, oh, crap. But yeah. So we accidentally posted a track that only had my track instead of both of It was just Sarah having mates, a one-way conversation. It was really annoying. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so stupid. Sorry. So we're human. But in any case, um, I have an update on the Boston bomber case. Evidently, this article says Boston Marathon bomber sues over his right to wear a baseball cap in prison. This is pretty recent. Came out last week. The guy that was accused and convicted, I don't know how to say his name. Sarnayev? Wait, what's the first name? It's D-Z-H-O-K-H-A-R. Zarnov? Is that how you his, say his it? last name is Zarnayev. Zarnayev? I think it's so Zokar. Yeah. They're Chechen. The brothers are Chechen. I apologize, but I do not know how to pronounce Let these me look this up because I used, I did I do know how to pronounce his name. But um, in any case, he is the surviving one of the two Boston Marathon bombers, and his older brother was possibly an FBI informant, was believed to be the mastermind behind the attacks. However, he was killed during the escape from Cambridge, leaving the younger brother in Watertown and all subsequent legal matters. But he was given a death sentence initially for his role in the bombings, although that was overturned in August, 2020. Mm-hmm. He's currently serving a life sentence at the Supermax Federal Correctional Complex in Florence, Colorado. Associated Press now reports he has sued the federal government for $25,000 over his treatment there, calling it unlawful, unreasonable, and discriminatory. In a handwritten suit filed Monday, January 11th, he claims he's been limited to only three showers per week and that the prison guards confiscated a white baseball cap and bandana he had purchased at the prison commissary, all of which contributed to his mental and physical decline. 
When the FBI first released photos of the brothers together, he had been wearing a white hat while his brother wore a black one. It is not unreasonable that someone like a prison guard might interpret this as a sign of trolling on his part. While prison showers are notoriously unlaw or excuse me, while prison showers are notoriously awful, three times a week is fairly common, for better or for worse. Yeah, but the none incarcerated of that's unusual. Yeah. Um, but the incarcerated people at the ADX Florence are typically confined to their concrete rooms for 23 hours a day. That kind of solitary confinement can indeed contribute to mental and physical decline, not necessarily having your hat taken away. Right. Um, but a former warden at the ADX told the Boston Herald, I get it, he wants more than three showers a week, but he's 20-something living in a seven-foot cell where life is worse than if he did get the death penalty. Hmm. But incarcerated people still have rights, no matter how reprehensible they are. I live in Boston. I know people who were hurt or died that day, and I think this man deserves a life sentence, although I agree that he probably didn't get a fair trial with an impartial jury. At the same time, I don't think anyone deserves death or cruel and unusual punishment while incarcerated. He should be able to wear the hat is what the article is basically saying, but it seems wild that he, should, he would be able to sue for $250,000 because they won't let him wear a hat, and they only let him shower three times a week. I mean... Yeah, I mean, I could see why the hat thing, because I could see that somebody would interpret that as him wanting to relive or brag about what he did. Um, and as opposed to, ideally, what you're supposed to do in prison is show remorse. But So I can see why they like took the hat away from him. I think it's a little unreasonable to sue that you think you have the right to wear a baseball cap in prison. Um, yeah, and that it's worth $25,000. Yeah, that's... That's a little absurd. I think he'll be all right. Uh, he No, sorry. It's $250,000. Even better. Yeah, I think he'll be all right without the baseball cap. He is in a supermax prison. Um, but I think the government isn't, I think, isn't the government appealing his death sentence? I think they want to give him the death sentence again. Yeah, they, they probably are. But it came down that his sentence was overturned in August. And that process, yeah. as you probably know, takes a long time. And then with COVID going on, they're probably appealing that. Yeah overturn yeah but it's interesting especially since they've been executing so many people in the federal system seriously um, but yeah hit, but when biden officially comes into office i suspect that they will put the moratorium back in place. yeah Don't entirely possible because he's he's notorious for being known to be against yeah. the death penalty and and i'm against the death penalty too um but and i i did look up his name it's jokar jokar sarnayev okay. and the brothers are um they're chechen and they did spend some time in Chechnya, I think in the late 90s, early 2000s, during the like Second Chechen War, or maybe shortly after that. Um, so they think that they were radicalized over there. Um, oh, I'm but, sure. But yeah, so, so just wanted to clarify on how to pronounce the name. I wonder if they had any other options besides white hats, because what if white hats were the only things they sold in the commissary? So like, well, he doesn't really have any other option. They should let him have Why the white he have hat. Why does he have to wear a hat? What if he wants to wear a hat? What if he wants, you know, a hat and a bandana because of the freaking COVID virus and he feels like that makes him safer to... I mean, they didn't say anything about the bandana. They didn't really give the reasoning behind it or, like, the the specific details of the particular case. They just said that he's suing for $250,000 saying that his rights were violated, which... Do you think three showers a week is a violation of rights? I don't love it. I take two showers a day, but... I almost laugh there because I've been taking like three showers a week and I'm like, that's too much. Um, really? Oh my <laughs> Since God. Since COVID. Just I'm, I'm a two shower a day. I'm not going day. anywhere doing uh-uh. anything. I'm a two shower a day person. Um, 
And it's so cold here that it's like you don't want to get undressed. You just want to stay in your long johns and PJs all I'm day. A, I'm, so. a, I'm, I'm, I'm a particular person about showers. Like I have white towels that I use in the morning and I have black towels that I use at night because that's when like my makeup comes off. Oh, too and funny. I don't want to get makeup on the white <laughs> towels. So like I'm probably not the best person to ask about the shower thing. Um, but I know like I I know that that's common in prison. Especially in a supermax. Well, if I'm sweating and I'm like getting all gross, then yeah, I want to shower every day. But like, if I'm just sitting around doing nothing, then no, it doesn't really oh matter gosh. to me. But he's saying that that's a violation of his yeah. civil rights. I don't really think it is, personally. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think showers every day are a civil no, right. No, I don't think so. Especially if you kill a bunch of people by bombing a marathon. Yeah, he's an actual terrorist. Yeah. Yeah. So. But again, maybe that's just me. Maybe other people believe that it is. We'll see how that plays out. My guess is it's going to get kicked out of the court and dismissed. Right. I would hope so. But anyway, you want to jump into the main case for Yes, I do. So I have actually two stories, and they're both kind of short, but they're kind of um, similar in nature. So this first one is one that was just solved. It was a cold case that was just solved very recently, and I wanted to talk about it once I got more details about it. So this is the story of Delta Dawn. Have you heard about this? Okay. So on December 3rd, 1982 in Moss Point, Mississippi, which is like down by the Gulf Coast. Okay. um, Some long distance truckers were like talking on their CB radios about seeing a young woman walking along the side of a highway and then later on the side of the I-10 with a toddler. And the toddler is December, Mississippi, which is not like cold like it is in Illinois, but it's still pretty cold. And the toddler doesn't have a jacket and doesn't have shoes on. Okay. All right. And they all reported that the woman was clearly in distress, but wouldn't let anybody help her. Like people would pull over and ask if she needed a ride somewhere and she wouldn't get in the car with anybody. They wouldn't, she wouldn't accept any like help from anybody. Okay. Okay. And the woman was described as wearing a blue plaid shirt and blue jeans. Okay. Um, two days later, on December 5th, in the morning, a truck driver calls the Jackson County Sheriff's Office, which I have to say is not the county where Jackson, Mississippi is located. Jackson's the capital of Mississippi, but Jackson County is in the Gulf area, in this Moss Point, Pascagoula area, and those are two different places. Okay. So I just need to clarify that. Um, so this, this truck driver calls the Sheriff's Department after seeing a female body floating face down in the Escatapa River near the I-10. Okay. And the I-10 is an east to west, so it runs along the coast. Um, And the woman is described as wearing a blue plaid shirt. Okay. And it's not known at this time if the police knew of the reports of the sightings of the woman with the toddler that matched that description just two days prior. But obviously hearing that a body is floating in the river, they send the sheriff's deputy out to the scene. Okay. And when the deputy arrives... He can't find the woman's body. Oh. Okay. All right. So he doesn't see anything. So he kind of decides he's going to continue to searching, search around and expand the search area. And when he does that, he comes upon the body of a small female toddler Aww. lying partially submerged face up in the weeds on the banks of this river yeah. near this bridge where the driver was driving over where he saw the woman's body. Yeah. Okay. Authorities ruled the child's cause of death drowning because she had water in her lungs, but they also couldn't rule out strangulation. Okay, so there were apparently signs of some trauma on her body. And they believed that she had been thrown off of the bridge. Oh, my gosh. 
and given the location of her body and the description so the the truck driver said he saw he very specifically said he saw a woman wearing a blue plaid shirt and this they found a toddler in the weeds and that was like not an area you could have really seen from the bridge especially if you're driving they don't think that this is the same sighting wow Okay. okay so um Authorities continued to search the river for this woman's body that was reported by the driver, and they dredged the river, but they never found another body. Wow. Or they never found her body. So they perform an autopsy on the child, and it was determined that someone had tried to smother the child before throwing her in the river, but she was still alive when she entered the water. Like I said, she had water in her lungs. Yep. And it was also determined that she was between 18 months and two years old. Aww. And this is partially determined by the presence of, like, 12 milk teeth or, yeah. the, like, the baby teeth. Um, she had no food in her stomach, and there was evidence that she had uh, – that she was malnourished. Aww. And this is around the time that they make the connection between the sightings of the woman and toddler walking along the 10 and the description of the woman's body floating in the river yeah. and subsequent discovery of the toddler. So now they're starting to think these two are the same. And at that time, they believe the woman's body that was reported by the driver is the same as the woman walking along the interstate, but her body has never been recovered. And despite being covered extensively in the news at the time, nobody ever came forward to say, you know, that I was that woman walking along the the highway. So do you think she was killed and maybe alligators ate her, or do you think she just was never there? Well, so... I'm going to kind of get to that, but I something just did just occur to me that I didn't actually write down. But, it, you know, it kind of seems obvious that nobody would come forward because they believe that this toddler was thrown from the bridge. So it kind of makes sense that nobody would come forward if they're suspect in murdering this child, yeah. right? So that just kind of occurred to me, but but there's been no trace of this woman that has been described. So you think she murdered this child? That's what the authorities think. And no one was actually in the water? Well... No. The authorities think maybe it was a murder-suicide. They do believe that this woman's body was in the water. They just have never found it. So she was probably eaten by gators is what they're thinking. Well, they have a couple of theories I'm going to get to. But shortly after the toddler was found, one of the retired sheriff's deputies named Virgil Moore and his wife asked to adopt the baby so that they could give her a proper Christian burial. Because nobody came forward and claimed her. So not wanting her to be buried under Jane Doe, they end up calling her Baby Jane. And she's alternately known as Baby Jane and Delta Dawn because she's found near the Delta of the Gulf of Mexico. Okay. Um, So Baby Jane is buried in the Jackson County Cemetery following a service in nearby Pascagoula. Okay. And her funeral service was attended by 200 people. And... With four police officers serving as pallbearers. Okay, and she was buried under a grave marker that read Baby Jane and known only to God. Yeah. Okay. So authorities continue searching for both an identity to Baby Jane and an identity to the woman walking along I-10, but they increasingly come to believe that this woman was Baby Jane's mother, and they conclude that she had possibly attempted to smother Baby Jane and thinking that she was already dead, threw her off the bridge before committing suicide herself. So they do think that she, the woman did go into the water. And forensic facial reconstructions were performed showing what baby Jane would have looked like in real life. And these pictures were regularly shown in the news reports over the years, but never resulted in any leads. Okay. So in 2009, 
Baby Jane's body was exhumed so that the investigators could obtain a DNA sample that they then enter into both NamUs, which is the National Missing and Unified unidentified persons system Mm -hmm. and NICMIC, which is the national center for missing and exploited children databases yeah um but unfortunately at that time there was no matches okay and that was in 2009 then this is the recent um update on december 4th 2020 so just six weeks ago jackson county sheriff's office held a press conference announcing that they had identified baby jane as 18 month old alicia ann heinrich of Joplin, Joplin, Missouri. Okay. She was identified through genetic genealogy and confirmed by comparing her DNA to an aunt back in Missouri. Okay. They were also able to identify Alicia's mother, presumably the woman seen walking with her along the interstate, as Gwendolyn Clemens. So 23-year-old Gwendolyn had recently separated from Alicia's father and disappeared from Missouri on or around Thanksgiving of 1982 with a boyfriend that has never been named publicly so they told family members that they were going to florida and they were going to start a new life there's the mommy and the baby and the boyfriend okay like it's a little family yep and the boyfriend like i said his identity is not publicly known later returned to missouri by himself Hmm. and that's not suspicious at all yep and according to gwendolyn's family he's now deceased so they are still searching for Gwendolyn or any any indication of what happened to Gwendolyn, but they believe she was likely the body that was seen by the trucker on December 5th, 1982, and that her body maybe was caught on something on the bottom of the river or got swept away with the tide. So maybe he left her and decided to go back home, and she was super sad about that, and so she committed suicide and killed her baby. Is that kind of what they're presuming? No, they think that the boyfriend murdered both the baby and Gwendolyn. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So what's interesting, though, is about this is the sightings of the woman and the toddler presumably are Gwendolyn and Alicia walking along the highway. So there's no reports of a man being with them. And if she's in distress, maybe running from this man, why doesn't she let anybody help her? Yeah. You know, and ultimately, we don't know what happened to Gwendolyn and authorities are still trying to locate her. But it's believed that both Gwendolyn and Alicia were murdered by the boyfriend and thrown off the bridge into the river, like I said. But nobody saw him anywhere near. Nope. Wow. And the other interesting thing about this is that while authorities are searching the river for the woman's body, they they discover the mostly skeletal remains of an African-American man on the same day that they found Alicia's body. What? He'd been shot, and it's believed he'd been in the river for at least six months before he was discovered. So he's still unidentified, and it's not believed that his death is connected to Alicia's in any way. But this then leads to the question of if his body, let's say his body went into the river over this bridge, the same bridge near where Alicia's body was found and where Gwendolyn, presumably Gwendolyn's body was floating. Right. How is it that his body remained in the same location for six months, yet Gwendolyn's may have been taken out by the tides? Maybe he came back and got her to hide him the tracks right i don't know i don't know wow that's bizarre so there's you know there's it's we don't know what happened to gwendolyn they presume that she's deceased but they're still looking for any information and anybody who has any information about this case is asked to contact jackson county sheriff's department that number is 228-769-3036 
or the Mississippi Coast Crime Stoppers, and that number is 877-787-5898. And we'll post this um, with the show notes and everything on, on our, our social media. So that's the story of Delta Dawn. And I remember reading about Delta Dawn or Baby Jane m- numerous times over the years, kind of following that case. And so I remember when I got the news alert that it was solved, I knew I wanted to cover it because... Yeah, but it's not um, really solved, right? Well, it's solved. They, they think they, they've identified... Delta Dawn, and they think they know what happened to her and who was responsible, but they still can't, they, they'd never found Gwendolyn. So it's not really solved. It's just, they have some information. Right. Well, they identified Delta Dawn and that, or Baby Jane, and that was really the solving of it because she was the one that they found. But did the mother so kill it her? Was giving, did the boyfriend right. kill her? Like, that's to me, it doesn't say it's solved. That just says we have the name. Right, right. And so it, she's been since she's since been identified. I guess is a better way to explain that. So that's why I wanted to kind of cover that. So like I said, um, we'll post those phone numbers if if anybody out there has any information. But that kind of led me to another case that I've been wanting to talk about for a little while. And I thought these two went nicely together. And this is the story of Tent Girl. Have you heard about this one? Uh huh. So this is a story in Kentucky. And on May 17th, 1968, a man named Wilbur Riddle was scavenging along a highway in Georgetown, Kentucky. That's a thing, just by the way. Like It is. The road road stuff. My yeah. dad used to do that when I was <laughs> Yeah, it is a thing. <laughs> like and garbage cans and clothes and all kinds yeah, of Yeah, especially for stuff. like things that you can recycle and get like money for too, yeah. you know. So. so so he's walking along this highway and he discovers a a woman's body wrapped in a green canvas material is kind of like a tent, like something oh you would God. like hold a tent in. So that's Can how the name imagine? came. Can you imagine? No. So police were able to determine the body was a woman, but were otherwise unable to identify her. And despite efforts from both the police and the FBI, they were never able to identify her. And in 1971, her remains were buried in the Georgetown Cemetery with the headstone reading, Tent Girl, found May 17, 1968, on U.S. Highway 25 North, died about April 26 to May 3, 1968, age about 16 to 19 years, height 5 feet 1 inches, weight 110 to 115 pounds, reddish-brown hair, unidentified. That's on her gravestone. The other side of the gravestone says has an engraving of what police may think she may have looked like. Okay? So fast forward 20 years. A man named Todd Matthews begins dating Wilbur Riddle's daughter, and he hears the story of this body that her, his girlfriend, now wife's father, found yeah. all these years ago. And he's just, uh, he becomes kind of obsessed with the fact that, that she was never identified. Right. And so he's consumed by the fact that she's never been identified for 20 years, and he decides he's going to take it upon himself to discover her identity and find her family. So for 10 years, Matthews researched this case and looked through reports of missing women from that time and from that area. And this is in the early days of the internet, you know, mid to late 90s. And so he starts using things like email directories to search for people who lived in the Georgetown area in the late 1960s. And he's also getting on like public forums and discussion groups for uh, reports of missing women from that place and time. In 1998, he comes across a posting from a woman in Arkansas named Rosemary Westbrook, who has been looking for her missing older sister, Barbara Ann Hackman Taylor. Barbara Ann had gotten married and became estranged from her family. So no one in her family had heard from her since 1968. Wait, 
1619. So she got married real young. Well, that was the estimation based on the forensics. Okay. So she's actually 24 when she goes missing. Okay. And so, uh, like I said, nobody in her family had heard from her since 1968. And Rosemary had been posting on the internet about her sister for a little while, but did not get a single response until Matthews contacts her. Wow. So Matthews believes that the description of Barbara Ann matches the description of Tint Girl. And he's going to then act as a liaison for Rosemary and connects her with the forensic medical examiner for this area in Kentucky. Okay. So Dr. Emily Craig, the medical examiner, believes that, yes, there is a connection. We think that this could be the same woman. So she arranged to have Tint Girl's remains exhumed in 98 for a DNA comparison. Wow. So on April 22nd, 1998, just one month shy of the 30-year mark, Tent Girl is positively identified as Barbara Ann Hackman Taylor. Okay. So we got so like I said, Yeah. So like I said, 24-year-old Barbara Ann was working at a restaurant in Lexington and had recently had a young daughter when she disappeared. The connection was never made because her husband, George Earl Taylor, never filed a missing report for her and the told heck? her family she left him for another man. And they never thought anything suspicious of that. Well, the, remember, they she was estranged from her family because of this marriage. He was very controlling and, I, I believe, abusive. So they didn't have a lot of contact with her prior to her going missing in the first place. And then wow. he's just like, no, she left me for another, another guy. Don't know where she is. And this is the 60s, right? Yep, 68. So, you know, again, no email. Right. Probably not a lot of phones. Yeah. Probably and would be her family's back in Arkansas. And she's in Kentucky, so, you know, it's hard to kind of really gauge where she is, you know? Mm -hmm. So the husband, George L. Taylor, he actually died in 1987. But they were able to find Barbara Ann's daughter, who lived in Ohio near her father's family. So she had since married and had children of her own by the time her mother's remains were identified. Wow. And she's also survived, Barbara Ann is also survived by three sisters living in Arkansas, California, and Maine. So, like, the whole family kind of spread out, which may have been another reason that, uh, that, that it was very difficult to find out what happened to her. So she only had one kid? Yes. And how old was the child at the time that she disappeared? I don't have that information. Okay. Just a young daughter. Okay. And I don't have a name for the daughter either. So there's, kind of, there's not a lot of information about, there's also not a lot of information about how Barbara Ann died. But Barbara Ann's family chose to have her remains reinterned in the Georgetown Cemetery because the town cared so much about her and cared for her when they gave her this funeral and this headstone that they decided they wanted to leave her remains in that city. Right. So they kept the original Tent Girl grave marker, but they added another one bearing her birth name and the inscription, Loving Mother, Grandmother, and Sister. And they deliberately left her married name, Taylor, off the gravestone because George Earl Taylor, her husband is believed to be responsible for her murder. And they'll never know because he's dead. Correct. And that's the story of Tent Girl. But from this, Todd Matthews then went on to work with the Doe Network, and he created another company named, another organization named Project EDAN, Everyone Deserves a Name. And these companies work together to, they, they basically look through the reports of unidentified 
murder suspects or unidentified remains that are found, and then they compare those to missing persons reports that other people have filed on other other websites and and uh, networks, and they look through those and they try to find matches. Wow! And they've made, I want to say, over a hundred matches since this started in '99 on the Doe Network and NamUs and Project Eden and things like that. So um, it's a wow, really cool... A lot. It's a lot. It's and, and and that's what's so common about this, this kind of thing. And that's, you know, similar to Delta Dawn and similar to Barbara Ann Hackman-Taylor, or Barbara Ann Hackman, excuse me, is especially in that time where you have people crossing uh, the country, they, they end up deceased or they end up victims of, of murder or violent crime and then but they can't make the connection because there's the jurisdictions are not linking up yeah and so it was a big push at the beginning of the internet to kind of link these things up and 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 that's what todd matthews has done and it all started with his fascination with the story of tent girl and he was wow. able to find her identity and find her family and make that connection and because his whole thing is that you know nobody's a jane doe nobody's a john doe Everybody deserves a name, and that's what his project is called. So I just thought that was really cool to to talk about, and this is going to be a really short episode. but Yeah, and there's a lot of internet sleuths out there, and this is one of those things, like web sleuths is a big thing, but like also I would encourage you, if this is something you're interested in, anybody can go and look at NamUs or the Doe Network or the Charlie Project, or anybody can go and look at those things and, and see if you can make a connection there and see if you can help identify some of these, some of these people and help bring them home. If they only found one, it's worth it. And they've already found Absolutely. way more than that. So that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Okay. Hey, want to do some emails? Yeah, let's do some emails. We haven't done those in a while. Yeah, we got some cool stuff on here that I kind of wanted to go over. Um, here is one that we got a couple of weeks ago. Hi, ladies. I'm a fan of the podcast and have been since it started. As a nurse in San Diego, California, <gasps> hey. uh, I was excited to hear about the connection you two had to the area. COVID has been especially challenging for so many of us, and it's nice to hear you guys have such an upbeat attitude, sometimes funny and sometimes lighthearted, and this can help make things easier for those of us out here listening. We hear enough doom and gloom from the media, and it's nice to hear you guys talk about the normal things that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. My husband and I are really enjoying the house updates too. We now look at social media daily to see if there are any updates, (laughs) which is funny. Um, Seeing the little details on cabinet stores and lighting are the highlight of what looks to be a wonderful old home. Please keep us, or excuse me, please keep up the good work and know that you have fans back in San Diego cheering for you. We only have two requests. One, more medical cases, which she's a nurse, so like I get that. She wants to hear that. And more before and after pictures from Sarah's big old house, Kelsey. Thanks, Kelsey. Yeah. I think that's the first time anybody's ever been like, you have such a positive attitude. I know, I know. I mean. (laughs) Nobody ever says that about me. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Thank you, Kelsey. That makes me feel a little bit better. I mean, I think we try, like, for the most part. Like, we try not to be doom and gloom. Like, there's people that I think take it to the extreme, but. Um, here's one that says, hi, Sarah and Darcy. I love your podcast. I found it by accident when I was scrolling through Instagram, looking at endless wormholes about true crime stories, which sweet, <laughs> right? Cause we tag a lot of different things in yeah. there. I'm a huge fan of the way you and Darcy approach the episodes, like a conversation between friends. 
Yes, the material is intelligently presented, but I like the jokes and the fun side, including the stories and conversational aspects. Tell Darcy to keep adding all hers, too. She seems to have some really crazy ones. The more, the better. (laughs) (laughs) Signed, a fan in Michigan. Thanks. Right? I was like, okay, Darcy, more of your stories. More of your crazy stories. More of my stories. Oh, boy. You know, like the one where you, like, had the, the ghost, like... Put its hand yeah. on your head. Like, that yeah. was, I got the chills just saying that right now. Like, ooh, that yeah, isn't so, that crazy? So creepy. Okay. Um, here's another one that says A friend recommended this podcast to me after I decided to drop my previous fave, Shall Remain Nameless, but was two women that started out great but got too big for their britches. I don't know what that means. Maybe she's trying to tell us not to get too big for our britches. <laughs> Stay humble, Sarah. Stay <laughs> right? humble. Uh, okay. I love how you two bring such intelligent, humorous, and realistic takes to the stories. I also enjoy the fact that you don't have a ton of commercials to fast forward through, which, you know. We don't have any. <laughs> Sometimes I wish we had commercials. I know. The, I, I would take a sponsorship. <laughs> right. It seems like so many of the podcasts today are now flooded with advertising and shameless plugs for tons of garbage that no one needs. <laughs> <laughs> true, excuse me. True crime podcast started out as platforms for people who wanted to enjoy hearing the stories. Selling should be a minor part of it, but it looks like it is now the primary purpose for the bigger podcasts out there. I love you two are still passionate about the content and not selling crap. Stay real, ladies, and don't sell out. Carmen. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think there's a lot of people that, with how big podcasts have gotten, I think there's a lot of people that this is their like primary source of income now, yeah. and that means that they have to... Um, rely on advertising and sell a lot of products and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, um, Carmen, and there's certainly, and there's certainly still people that like are working their regular careers and then also are earning, you know, a little bit on the side. But yeah. right now, we're still searching for advertisers. <laughs> uh, not gonna lie, Carmen, we would if we could. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not sell out, but like we'd have some advertising. Man, I just, I think there's a fine line. Between mm-hmm. just kind of getting it to the point where like every couple minutes there's one and they have them in inappropriate times and the ones where they don't really have a lot of collaboration or control over when it comes on in the podcast. Mm-hmm. So it just cuts the podcast at a weird spot. And then, yeah. So I think that, you know, we're going to be very judicious about what we do and make sure that the content that we are involved in is also like something relevant that we would ourselves want to be involved with. Like, I don't want to sell, like I heard one podcast, I'm not going to name any names, but I heard one doing adverts for um, e-cigarettes. Ew. And immediately I was so like, oh yeah, it's, they're so bad. Yeah, um, and there's so much research out there that is just saying that they're just extremely dangerous, and they're doing all kinds of bad stuff to younger kids, and they're really targeting young kids for those mm-hmm. e-cigarettes. So I was just like, ooh, I personally wouldn't have chosen to use that one, right? Um, but you know, I'm not going to judge somebody for taking something during this period of time where everyone is just struggling to stay stay alive. But for me, yeah, like. I would not have chosen that as something that I would put on a podcast platform. Right. I think the goal would be like something that you actually use. Like, and some stuff I have gotten using like discount codes from podcasts. Like I have a Quip toothbrush. Yeah. Yeah. And I love it. You or know like what I mean? Talk so, space or like some yeah. of the other cool ones out there that are offering like neat services that people really need right now that are very useful and, and like mm-hmm. are actually doing real good for people out there. Like I would consider those ones, but like, yeah. So. We're keeping that in mind, definitely. Um, The next one says, Hi there, I've been having problems getting your podcast from Stitcher lately. Any suggestions on what may be going on? Gary. Oh, no. Um, 
I think sometimes when your phone's about due for an update, sometimes the podcast either won't load or you might have delay in loading. So just make sure that you're working off the latest update on both the Stitcher app and your phone. So okay. go into the updates on your phone and make sure that you've installed everything because it will delay them if you don't have the latest update for the Stitcher app and for your phone. So, and see, and you cover like the uploading to the different platforms and things like that. So like you just push the, them all out to the different platforms at the same time, right? Yeah, there's like a, um, through our main uh, platform that we load onto, it pushes it out to all the ones at once. So like it doesn't, I don't have to load anything separately. It Mm -hmm. just automatically does it. As soon as it loads on the Apple platform, it just kind of sucks it onto all the other ones. But Mm -hmm. like I said, if you don't have all the latest updates on your phone or your computer or whatever, it won't load them either in order or sometimes there'll be a delay in loading. So just make sure you have all the updates on that. That's a really good point to make. Thanks for that email. I think he said his name was Gary. Thank you, Gary, for that email. Um, and then the last one that I have is it just is a real simple one. It says more medical stories, please, Albert. <laughs> Topic suggestion. <laughs> Albert gets right to the point and doesn't mess Boom. around. Love it. <laughs> Thank you, Albert. Concise for, to the point. <laughs> for taking the time to write to us and let us know that you would like to hear more medical stories. I think that's something that's kind of like in your wheelhouse. But mm-hmm. um, Darcy has been working on some school-related stuff lately and hasn't had quite as much time as I have had. So... I have done a little bit more of the stories lately. Plus I've found some really cool ones that I've been like kind of passionate about. And so I've been like, Darcy, can I do this one? Yeah. <laughs> She's been like, sure. <laughs> like, I- yeah. I'm getting to like the, the last big push of doing my PhD. Um, I'm about to propose my topic and get started on my dissertation, like data collection and stuff like that. So things are kind of hectic. I'm doing, um, all of that stuff. And that's like the medical stuff that I'm doing like on a day-to-day basis. So sometimes I'm like, I don't want to take a break from the medical stuff and just like read about a good old fashioned murder or something like that. (laughs) But, um, but yeah, I will, once I have some time and to kind of catch my breath and, um, get these next couple steps in the PhD process behind me, then I'll start, um, doing some more medical based crime stuff because I really enjoy talking about it too it gives me a chance to nerd out as well yeah for real um and I have gotten a couple like separate comments that were not like email per se but comments from friends on either Facebook or just texting me saying that they have enjoyed some of the episodes um in particular I just got one about the Elisa Lamb stuff like the elevator story the elevator game story (laughs) um and how fun that was to kind of discuss and yeah We've kind of decided to, like, initially I didn't really do those types of portions within the stories because Darcy was either annoyed by them or <laughs> didn't, was, didn't no, want to talk about annoyed. it. Or... Supernatural stuff just really freaks me out. Like, it's, like, a well, level that, like, of fear that, like, I can't even, like, tangibly describe. It really freaks me out. So I was like, we can't do any supernatural. Well, but after then, I like, heard the story about the hand on your bed, I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can so understand. when... But when we talk about, like, the Elisa Lamb stuff, and I'm just a natural skeptic anyway, so, like, when we talk about the Elisa Lamb type stuff, I'm like, yeah, we could talk about, like, if it's, like, on the level of, like, that. I can't talk about, like, possession or anything. Like, it freaks me out. So that's mostly me. <laughs> yeah, so just FYI, that's the reason for it. Not that we're not interested in it, but I try to be, like, really careful about what I select in that so that it's not going to give Darcy... I'm not trying to have nightmares over here. <laughs> give Darcy nightmares over on her end. But... In any case, um, do you have anything else you want to add on that? 
Uh, I don't. Thank you for so much for everybody for writing in and for the suggestions. And I really do want to get back to the medical stuff. Um, just need to kind of get my personal life in order, my academic life in order, and then we'll get back to it. And we really, really, really love emails from you guys. So please feel yeah. free to write to us, even if it's you think it's lame or like insignificant or whatever. It I promise you, it never is. We love mm-hmm. hearing them. Even if they're like somewhat snarky, they're still kind of fun. Like the, the cat lady one that Yeah, that was so awesome. I absolutely (laughs) freaking love that. So more of that, please. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up for the day. Unless you have anything else you want to add. I'm good. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can shoot us an email. We're at thebfdpodcast at gmail.com. And please rate, review, and subscribe as well. That's really, really important. It helps us pop up higher in searches for people that want to look at the content that we're offering. And what's our social media, Darcy? Yeah, we are at the BFD Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. And like Sarah said, we'll put uh, pictures and the phone numbers and all that contact information there as well. Perfect. Please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys.